0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Hidden World. Sorry, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. There's no 3 there. Uh, We're also going to take a look back at Boots Riley's uh, film debut, Sorry to Bother You. It's available on Hulu. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, We're also going to have a very, very, I I would say brief, but who am I kidding? We're going to have a conversation about the Oscars, uh, because they happened, and this is a movie podcast. Why wouldn't we? It's what you do. (laughs) Before we get to all of that, I want to talk about a couple of very quick news stories. Andy, you put these on the table. One of them I'm really into. The other one I'm not really sure where we're going, but the first, Chris Hemsworth to play Hulk Hogan in a biopic directed by Todd Phillips. Time to eat your vitamins and say your prayers. Hulkomania is going to run wild. Chris Hemsworth. As the Hulkster, Andy, any hot takes?
1: <laughs> I, I'm excited to see the, the, the transformation of this. I think uh, it'll be probably really cool. Uh, the movie is going to focus on his early career, his kind of rise uh, to fame in the 70s and 80s, and kind of the explosion of his career as a wrestler, and also kind of a, a, a predecessor to people like uh, The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson, because uh, Hulk Hogan was huge. He had he was in magazines, video games, an animated series. Uh, so the movie's going to focus on that, and not so much uh, on some of the drama later in in his life. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what he's going to look like uh, this transformation.
0: Man, I um, I, I saw a great a great quote today by uh, Errol Morris, his documentarian. He said, "Movies are are made to make people feel good." Why else would people watch them? Or they should be made to make people feel good. And when I think about a Hulk Hogan biopic, like many biopics, I feel the exact opposite, man. I want to see the nitty-gritty. I want to see the ugly, raw side of wrestling in the 70s. And I want to see his rise to the top. You know, that's that's what you want. But, like, man, I remember hearing stories about Hulk Hogan, and I'm not a big wrestling fan, so take this for what it's worth. I remember hearing stories about them like breaking bones in practice and doing ridiculous things to try to get in shape and look, look bigger. And like, I want to get into all that. I don't want any kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody whitewashed biopic for like how great things are to be a wrestler. I want some, I want some nitty gritty. I want some, I want some shaky cam, no <laughs> tripods. All right. I want some good stuff. Uh, what do you think? What, what is this going to look like?
1: Well, it's directed by Todd Phillips, who is directing the Joker film, uh, which comes out in October. Uh, so, I think that that's a good sign. I think we might get something a little bit more raw. And yet, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, because wrestling in the 70s was this like disjunct, you know, people traveling around in vans uh, trying to entertain people for a few bucks on the weekend. And then that coalesced into the WWF and then later WWE. So, I think that's re- going to be the real exciting part of the story is to see not only how he evolves, but how wrestling has evolved as an s- entertainment sport.
0: I'm interested to see how kind of d- dirty this gets uh todd phillips did direct the hangover uh which is a comedy of course but it's also a pretty a relatively raw movie you know those guys don't have a whole lot of fun on that journey and i think there's something to that he's working on the joker right now of course we'll see how that goes uh, uh the joker project i don't want to say it's just called the joker right the joke yeah the joker film stand, the joker stand- film. standalone film yeah. whatever it's going to be yeah Uh, Chris Hemsworth has a little bit of comedy chops in 2016's Ghostbusters Answer the Call. I'm interested to see where this goes. I hope it's not too comedic. I know it could very easily be overplayed. I'd rather they take it like 110% serious because that's bold cinema. And that's what I want to see. Yeah, I want to see the Oscar-worthy
1: performance here of the the, the the physical transformation. I mean, you're right. Like...
0: Hulk Hogan was a dude. He 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 brought wrestling into the spotlight. I mean Andre the giant did a bit but like he said he set the way but like Hulk Hogan was was The guy like I don't know a lot about wrestling, but I know Hulk Hogan So like I'll, I'll be interested to see where this goes and what it becomes Uh, the next story and our last one before we get on to how to train your dragon Uh rotten tomatoes revamps their audience score system to counter online trolls rotten tomatoes has of course had a lot of trouble uh in the internet as of late and this seems to be a a, another kind of goalpost of moving forward with them uh it looks like what they're trying to do is they want to shift the audience review scores from percentage score to a overall aggregate is that right what what am i what am i missing here
1: um well there's a couple of changes so so you're you're on the right tracks so i think they're just going to have uh like a flat number actually of what the, the audience score is. So this many people recommend versus this many people don't, something like that. Um, right. More, more importantly, they're not allowing people to post reviews and comments until after the film is released uh, because they've had a lot of issues with like uh, you know, review bombing by haters <laughs> in one form or another things like the last Jedi or um, yeah, recently with Captain Marvel, where just a whole bunch of trolls who are just angry at the movie for whatever reason are coming in and just bombing it with with negative reviews before it's even out. So that's what they're trying to counter, and they're doing that, like I said, by uh, you can't make accounts and you can, or sorry you can't post reviews and you can't rate it until after the actual release.
0: It's a shame. I I I'd rather I'd rather be able to see audience reviews before the film comes out, even if. They're, a lot of them are fake. I would rather, and I'm sure Rotten Tomatoes should have the infrastructure for this, considering how much money they make, but don't. Uh, I would rather they have some kind of like proof system. If you if you submit a review before a movie comes out, they're like, okay, give us pictures of your ticket, and like tell us what screening you went to or something. You know, like prove it. Like I I, I would appreciate that in some capacity. I know you'd have to have people to peer yeah. review that, and you'd it's have to expensive. have servers to host. Yeah. That yeah, that's a whole thing. But like, just this—the shutout is lame, man. Like, Rotten Tomatoes is supposed to be about the people of the world throwing Rotten Tomatoes at the, what they see on screen. That's the whole gag in the name. Like, you're removing the ability for people to do that in anticipation of a film, and I guess that's okay. But like, I don't know. Yeah, I that, feel like they're that, taking something a, away from the people, you know, the working man. That's a real problem to me.
1: Is yeah, well, the ability to to review a film before you've actually seen it. So I, I think I think it's a fair. Uh, thing that they 're trying to counter i 'm not sure how effective it 'll be, but you know th- the more these ratings and review sites are around, the less and less stock people are putting into them, and not just in this industry in every industry, things like google reviews yelp uh they can all be bought and paid for, so people are putting less and less faith in those.
0: I am interested to see what comes next. They did say in their editorial this will be launching. This 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 is the first of several phases of updates that they're launching that will refresh and modernize their audience rating system. So there'll be more news about this, and and it's kind of a rollout. So I guess we'll just keep you posted and see what happens here on Off Script. We should talk about our first film of the week. Uh, Who's who's taking that? I'm taking this. You are taking it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, Yes. uh, The first thing we're talking about: uh, How to Train Your Dragon. The Hidden World. You do know my leg isn't a chew toy, don't you? Is this what you want? Yeah, go get it. Uh, How am I supposed to get down? So, How to Train Your Dragon The Hidden World is, if you heard at the beginning of my very clumsy intro to today, to this show, uh, the third in the How to Train Your Dragon series. It's worth mentioning, this is not actually the third product. They had a television series. There are books that these are based on and, and stuffed animals. There's, there's a whole lot to it, but it's the third in the saga of the films, uh, starting with How to Train Your Dragon in 2009, moving to, How to Tra- 2010, How to Train Your Dragon 2. Don't know when that came out. Here we are. We have much of the same cast returning. How to Train Your Dragon 3 is the story of Hiccup, the leader of Berk, uh, who has created essentially a dragon slash human utopia in, 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 in his home home city village of Berk, uh, where essentially chaos has begun to, to, to erupt because there's too many dragons and there's too many people and it's it's not working anymore. The whole system is starting to tilt. So Hiccup and his, his, his band of merry men and women uh, and dragons go to look for the hidden world, uh, a place where uh, they can reside with their dragons and safety and comfort and they can have everything they ever wanted, a utopia, an Eden of sorts, an oasis in the desert, um, even though that's a very sea-based planet they live in. Uh, Uh that's essentially the plot of the film there. There is a, 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 uh, a a fun kind of, kind of engaging antagonist. I want to talk about for a minute. Almost the entirety of the cast has returned from the previous films and it's a, it's a pretty star studded cast for what it's worth. I want to talk about that. Um, ultimately it, it is supposed to be the conclusion to this saga that kids have grown up with i would liken what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a model similar to something like toy story 3 i'm not sure it quite hits that high water mark though and i don't want to talk about it andy what did you think <laughs> of how to train your dragon the hidden world Uh, So I really,
1: really enjoyed it. And I'm always skeptical about third films in trilogies. It's hard to to finish a series. It's hard to cap it off. And I think this film did a a very, very good job. The animation is stunning. As we've said many times before, we're in the golden age of animation. And uh, this film is no different. There's these incredible action scenes and landscapes and fantastical worlds that just really uh, draw you in. Uh, I really enjoyed this the story the the plot it really draws you in and it's it's a good conflict for the uh, the characters um, without seeming too ham-fisted or, or forced and and really wraps up the series nicely. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Lots of people that I've talked to have enjoyed it and cried a lot um, so yeah it, it was really good I r- really liked it um, and it, there's definitely some some things that I that didn't work for me but overall really good. I
0: did not like it. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so this, will, this will be a good conversation. Yeah, I, I, w- I was fairly displeased. I felt like this felt like an episode of the television show stretched out over 104 minutes. Okay. They don't get to the hidden world until over an hour into the film. Not to spoil it, but it's not really in the movie a whole lot. Really had no reason to be called that. The villain is uh, underplayed. Uh, the, the internal struggle of the characters is hardly touched. There are pl- plot points that aren't explained I had a whole lot of problems with this movie, so I can't wait to talk about this. This will be great. Uh, <laughs> oh, so let's talk about, I, I guess, I guess. where's the best place to start this conversation? Well, let's start with
1: the the kind of conflict, because uh, there's actually two two things going on. There is, uh, you know, this bad guy uh, named Grimmel, played by F. Murray Abra- Abraham, which I, I keep thinking he's dead, and he's definitely not. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: I was trying to place him the whole movie. I was like, who is that person? I couldn't figure... I thought maybe Javier Bardem doing an accent, but like, no, it's F. Murray Abraham.
1: Um, so he's coming to like... He he just kind of captures dragons uh, arbitrarily. Uh, but the real conflict is that uh Berk is now full of humans and dragons and they're kind of just running out of room, you know, it's, oh, it's an overpopulation problem and they're also being chased by Grimmel, but their real conflict is that they need to find a new place to kind of settle down and live. That's really the main story and and something that that a a good friend of mine Samantha pointed out is that Grimmel is kind of irrelevant to the plot. He could not be in the movie and you would still have a, a you know a really good uh, all right, a good conflict, you know, a good central right. premise. Uh, he's kind of in there just so we can have excuses to have action scenes.
0: I'm gonna slide that in the check minus column. All right, I'm gonna say that's a bad thing about this yeah. movie that the antagonist is pretty much useless. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, he, I mean, he does he does give our characters a little bit more incentive to 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 pick up and go. Right, it, it gives them something to be afraid of. To be fair, uh, and and I want to. I want to make sure we cover this. Visually, this film is genuinely stunning. I don't know what DreamWorks is cooking over there, but I want to try it. The most incredible things in this film are the water, sand, and sky effects, and anytime any of them were on screen. Oh, and shadows and lighting. Uh, incredible. Incredible. There's stuff in this movie that like is happening in the background, like just scenery. I swear, you could cut it out and you could stick it in the back of like a shot of, in Lord of the Rings and nobody would know that wasn't live action. Like, right. really... Really good stuff. The cartooniest thing in the movie are the people because that's an intentional art style. Like, I I want to see what DreamWorks can do with this technology they have because it's really good. So that's just to cover that. Visually incredible. Want to make sure we have that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I I I didn't like the way the characters don't really have a central conflict that's focused. It's exactly that. They didn't have a character. Like I couldn't decide whether or not they were running from the from from the end, from the bad guy or they were running from themselves, and right. that and that frustrated me. We we've <laughs> the, got this. We've got hid- this. I know. So, okay. the, hid,
1: the hidden the hidden world is the friends we made along the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they've got this. Yeah, they've got this. Like this conflict of okay, we have too many people, and we have too many dragons, and we have a leader who's young and doesn't know any better, and has kind of been thrown into this position. Who, who really doesn't see a problem with this. And that's an issue for the people of Berk. That's an issue for the dragons. Like we're not finding harmony and living together. That could have been the whole movie. And that could have been a two hour picture. And instead, that is relegated to like the background. So we get Grimmel, this, 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 this dragon hunter, like running around Following these guys and doing a terrible job of it by the way like there, there's things there's moves He makes that aren't explained and really don't have any real logic in the film They just happen yeah. and, and I asked Christine went and saw it with me and I asked her at the end of the movie I said why did he do this thing at the beginning of the film this this I'll tell you about it after the show because I don't want to spoil it but like this Why did he do this one thing and she's oh? Um, because this I'm like right, but they never explained that this is a kids film Like you shouldn't have to jump through hoops to figure out why a bad guy's being bad You know like that just seems like a stretch Um, he seemed to kind of ignore evidence against his case. Like when somebody would be like, no, dragons are good. He'd be like, well, dragons and humans can't live in harmony. They should have been like, well, look at Burke. And he would have been like, exactly, look at Burke. It's a mess. But like that never happened. It was just like dragons and humans can't live together. And they were like, well, we're going to fight you. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I wanted a little, I, I wanted more depth in my children's film, Andy. That's I was going to
1: say, I, I think you're being maybe a little <laughs> a little harsh on this children's film. I'm show. not.
0: I'm not being too <laughs> harsh. And I'll tell you why. Because the first two films are are genuinely quality, emotional, moving films. They really are. Uh, even the second one, and I don't even remember the second one that well, but I remember like beats of the second one. I remember being really emotional in the second one. I remember the second one being like long and like being feeling epic and like a giant dragon at the end. This one never really did that. It's 104 minutes. It's real quick. It's just like great. I mean, I could hear people, uh,
1: you know, tearing, crying in my theater. That's all I'm gonna say. Not me. (laughs) I couldn't. So uh, another thing that's introduced is we we meet another Night Fury. um, Toothless uh, blanked on his name. Toothless. uh, Toothless finds a possible uh, companion. Um, that's another big plot point. What did you What did you think of that?
0: I was relatively pleased. I, I wasn't sure where that character of the dragons were going. The the tough thing when you have characters who can't speak and are trying to experience any kind of like romance, kind of bounce back and forth relationship. Um, it, it's tough to kind of flesh that out, and, and that seemed like a struggle in this movie. Like they definitely had moments where it was like, well, these are characters are fun and engaging, but like ultimately. Um, I didn't feel like Toothless or this uh, this other dragon were like really, I don't know. They didn't emote well, if that makes sense. And I know (laughs) what you're thinking. You're like, are you kidding? They were all over the screen. But like, yeah, like you get what I'm coming from. Like they just never really, I don't know it they just like felt like said, obligatory it, it's yeah.
1: difficult like like you said when they're they, they don't have speaking lines and it's all got to be very visual they're they're animals essentially
0: yeah and they've got uh, this they've got this great back and forth one is rough and tumble and and dark and masculine and has as geometric eyes and the other is white and sleek and and has blue eyes uh, uh, very feminine and and like I couldn't help but think of Wally when I was watching this because right. Wally did that but it did it better. So like, that's a bummer to me. And again, <laughs> it's a kid's movie, I know. And that's Pixar like in their prime, I get it. But like, I, there there is a way to effectively like communicate between a, a, a dragon rider and their dragon. And like between Hiccup and, and, and Toothless in this, with the introduction of this light fury, like it just felt stinted and weird. And, and, and one character, Hiccup, the one that could speak, would apologize for something. And I'm like, why? What? Well, what are you sorry for? That doesn't make sense, you know. Like, and, and I'm, I'm I'm sitting here jumping through hoops as an adult trying to figure out a kid's film, uh, mm-hmm. and really struggling. And I know that makes it sound like I didn't get it. It's quite the opposite. I think I got it better than everybody else. I think those I think those kids don't get it. That's the problem. That's what's going on there. Uh huh. Waving my finger at the camera.
1: Um. So I, I wanted to get back to uh, the cast. So this has a really pretty impressive cast. Uh, Jay Baruchel is back as Hiccup. We have America Ferrera, F. Murray Abraham, as we said, is Grimmel, Kate Blanchett, Gerard Butler, Craig Ferguson, Jonah Hill, Kristen Wiig, Kit Harington. Uh, too many
0: people. Not enough people. What do you What do you think of this big cast? I was a little. It's a lot. And, and this was then. This was something that I felt like was a, was a problem in this movie. It being shorter, being 104 minutes, uh, it's just too many to cram in. Like I, I really would have rather it been a more intimate story with fewer characters. I think that would have helped it because it's right. so all over the place. And it's not that like it's not that you can't remember everybody because I got to the end of the movie and I was like, oh yeah, I can rattle off characters and who they are. But I've also seen two of these films. Like if I was going in fresh, I think I would have had a really different experience. And mm-hmm. I, I, I know this is a sequel, and we need. to base it on that but like it does it does it does bring up that question like is a film still quality if you have to have studied the material before you go in right
1: um, was, Vol- I, was volka in the second film the the mother
0: Vol- yeah she
1: was hiccups okay I, I just could not remember her at all and i was like did she just show up
0: yeah that's what i mean the second one somehow is a little forgettable but I, I i remember i remember feeling a sense of accomplishment in the second one like this the the highs and lows felt felt deeper Like, to me, the the struggle felt harder. Like, because in the second one, Hiccup is traveling to find his mom and and, and figure out the world and how he's going to become king of Burke. And his father has thoughts about it. And in this one, he's king, and they have to deal with the problem, and then they overcome it because together we can do anything, I guess. Like, I don't know. I I wish it had been a little bit more personal, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't quite there. But... Uh, great performances all around. Like I said, I was trying to place F. Murray Abraham the whole movie. I was like, "Who yeah. is that guy?" And and he had great menace to him. Hiccup is very inspiring. Uh, the the kind of goofy side characters are goofy side characters just like they should be. What do you think? I I thought it. For, for, <laughs> I thought grimma was Ian McShane
1: the whole time. That's who I thought it was. <laughs> I thought <No>. Javier Bardem. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I I like the cast. There there is. There are a lot of really good jokes and some of them are just uh, if you know who the cast is uh there's a little bit of wink and a nod to the audience. Um for instance, uh, a character named Eret or Erit is played by Kit Harrington, who of course is Jon Snow on Game of Thrones and they mm-hmm. make s- several allusions to his brooding and his like the kind of how he's on Game of Thrones. So I um I appreciated the, you know those kinds of uh humor and I could tell right away I was like that's that's Jon Snow. One thing Um, that felt
0: out of place for me was Jonah Hill, and he was in the first two films, so it makes sense. But like, it almost felt like I was I was watching, yeah, Jonah Hill from like a decade ago because that's the performance he's putting on because that's who he was, and that was like (laughs) coming off a super bad Jonah Hill, and that was (laughs) not like mid '90s and don't worry, he won't get far on foot, Jonah Hill. So like, that was a weird experience, like listening to him be that character again. I'm sure he enjoyed it for what it's worth.
1: Mm. Uh, Kristen Kristen Wiig plays this character called uh Roughnut, who's just like this crazy girl. Um, I kept thinking it was Kate McKinnon. The, That's a good one. The, the yeah, yeah she's,
0: she's tough to play. It's, yeah, I, I was trying to do that too. I was like, who is that playing playing Roughnut? I I like the humor. We should talk about that for a second. Uh, the writing and the dialogue, I actually enjoyed. I, I like the way the characters bounced off each other. Grimmel is just kind of this no nonsense villain, and anytime he has to deal with these like kids with a spark in their eye, he's, he's just over it. And, and I, I really appreciated that. And he had some good menace to him and good design. Um, good back and forth between characters. Uh, I thought the kind of in-jokes were fun. Um, I, I, I really did feel it, it, was, it was weak when there was no dialogue. And they were trying to emote between characters who can't speak, dragons. And like that. that's where it, I really got stuck. Um, and this right. one weird gag about a, about a hobgoblin and a curse that I just never never paid off like that, that comes <laughs> up through the whole movie i was like oh it's gonna this is gonna go somewhere and it just doesn't happen mm-hmm. um that was kind of a bummer but what did you think
1: uh like i said i laughed a lot there's a, a lot of good jokes in there some stuff for the adults um a lot of good visual comedy as well you know some a little bit of slapstick uh three stooges kind of things as well um i yeah really i thought it was really funny i really enjoyed it
0: i think we're ready for recommendations
1: I'm not, Uh, I want to know who you, yeah, not quite,
0: one more thing, who do you think this this film is made for, if you had to place the audience, is it made for little kids, or or like teenagers, or or adults, I mean, what was the, because I I, I struggled with it, because there are parts of this movie that are very serious, and other parts that are very childish, and it just felt like I couldn't, I had trouble placing, I was like, who exactly is this marketed to, you know? I think it's marketed to
1: teens and young adults who grew up with the series,
0: I agree, yeah, in a very Toy Story fashion. Yeah, the, the, on, the, on the front of the poster, you got Hiccup holding the flaming sword and dragon scale armor. I get that, yeah, like that makes sense to me. Um, I think they pretty much hit the mark. I, like ultimately, I don't know, I, maybe it's a movie I'm gonna have to watch it again, but it just did not, just didn't have the spark of the first two, it just didn't quite, didn't quite get there for me. So, I don't know. Recommendations, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, excuse me. Uh, Andy, would you recommend How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World? Uh, absolutely, I I really liked it.
1: It's a good conclusion to the series. It has great visuals, good writing, lots of humor, really entertaining. I felt it, it wrapped up pretty well. There's a few too many characters and some kind of inconsequential story elements, but overall, I definitely recommend it.
0: For all of my railing, maybe that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, I if you like, if you really like the first two, if you got kids who who, who saw them, totally, I I think they'll enjoy it. But. For me, like I don't know, I, I, maybe I've got rose-colored glasses, but I, I look back at How to Train Your Dragon and I remember it being just a little bit more, I don't know, it had a little bit more heart or something, a little bit more soul to it, and this one just didn't quite get there. It just felt like DreamWorks knew they could make a buck. They were like, "Wow, well, we're kind of done with this television series, let's make one more movie, wrap it up, and then move on to the next thing, and their engine is beautiful, the look of everything is beautiful. Um, it just didn't, didn't quite do it, and, and I wish I could explain better why. So Mm -hmm. that's me and How to Train Your Dragon Three. If it comes to Netflix, totally do it. Uh, You go to the theater. I don't know. Our next thing we should move on to. What a segue! Uh, Andy, (laughs) you want to take this one away? Please, you're 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 a super fan. We're gonna be talking about the
1: 91st annual Academy Awards, the Oscars. Um, so the Oscars were this weekend. Um, I watched the entire three, a little bit over three-hour show. A um, lo- lot of good moments, uh, some very deserving awards, some uh, eyebrow-raising <laughs> decisions as well. Um, and we're going to be uh, diving into uh, some of these decisions. Um, I will say they didn't have have a host. Um, we had it started with Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Maya Rudolph, who came out and kind of introduced the the show with a short, just a short little bit that worked really well. And then it actually seemed to flow really quickly without like having the host do weird and awkward jokes or, you know, they pull stunts before, like they brought a bunch of pizzas one time where they had like you know Ellen hold up a Galaxy S1 phone or whatever to do a big selfie and. So I liked that we didn't have any of that. It was just people presenting awards or presenting, you know, different performances. Um, So it definitely flowed faster. Uh, They played or they had performances for four of the five nominees for best original song, uh, which I always enjoy uh, as as soon as Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper performed uh their song i I was like that's that's gonna win there's nothing (laughs) nothing that's gonna compete with that um it it was pretty spectacular so overall really good show i did feel they were rushing through the awards really fast usually when you know they they talk through the nominees they'll show you a little bit of each movie but man they were giving you like two seconds maybe of of uh of films um so yeah let's uh let's go ahead and get into it um how do you want to start this
0: uh, well, you've got a list here. Uh, do you want to just roll down them? Uh, do you want to just pick out selects? What do you? We've got for anybody who doesn't know, we've got a list of all of our nominees and winners. So that's that's what we're looking at here. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: let's start down that list, and let me. I want to make sure I have the uh, nominees pulled up as well. So just for I did the same thing. Yeah. Wikipedia
0: <laughs> okay. will be your friend.
1: So best picture, the Green Book. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this was terrible. So it was looking all night like Roma was going to pick it up. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about its awards later, but it looked like uh, Roma was going to nab Best Picture, and it definitely deserved to. Um, Green Book is a really problematic film, as we've talked about before. It It's borderline a borderline white savior film. It has a very simplified, dumbed-down uh, view of of racism. And if you were going to pick something for Best P- Picture in that vein, it should have gone to Black Klansmen. Um so unfortunately, Spike Lee is is out an Oscar again. Um, or I would have been fine with The Favorite, Roma, A Star Is Born. Um, any <laughs> any, of the, any of them, yeah, yeah, it's, in, it's, including Bohemian Rhapsody. sorry, not, no, definitely not Bohemian Rhapsody. Sorry, Black Panther.
0: For anybody playing at home, we reviewed Green Book on episode forty four of the show, December third. Go back and listen. Uh, it's a good review, I I I, I think. Uh, honestly, Green Book is not a bad film. It's not. I, I I do not think it is a bad movie. We have seen much worse movies on this show that came out last year. But, like, on the list of best picture, dude, gun to my head, I would not have thought that's going to win, like, ever. I, I'd have figured, no, 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 it'll either be something that shouldn't win, like Bohemian Rhapsody, or something that really should, like Roma. Green Book is, like, some kind of weird... Middle of the road, vote for me. I was like, what the hell are you doing over there? Like it, it just Exactly.
1: It's it's yeah. so it it's so mediocre, so middle of the road. Even without the controversy, even if it was a slightly better film, it's still just like okay. Yeah, like despite not, despite the
0: controversy, somehow it felt like a safe pick. And like yeah, that's not it,
1: okay. It it's it's very safe. It's middle of the road. Like I said, Black Klansman is a much more complex uh look at at race relations in America if you're going to go down that road. And then you have really brilliant things like the favorite or, or Roma, which are just like masterpieces of, of filmmaking. So green book is none, is none of those
0: things. So it's, that one was really uh, disappointing. I have said before that a big metric for success for me with the film is whether or not I can find it in a $5 DVD bin at target or Walmart and I remember saying about Blade Runner 2049. I was like, I swear, Andy, if I find a copy of Blade Runner 2049 in a five dollar bin, I'm, I, dude, I'm gonna, I'm, I am i am i do not know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna freak <laughs> done out. With, like, done with, cinema. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit the podcast. And, and sure enough, I found one. Of course, I think it was like ten, seven bucks or something, like on Black Friday, I had a deal for Blade Runner 2049. Whatever. Fine. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a director. Obviously, I, I, I host a movie podcast. What do I know? But uh, I do know. Man, I could bet 365 days you're going to find Green Book on sale for like six bucks. Like, it is not any kind of, like, incredible film. It is not any kind. Of, it does not move a goalpost. It just, I don't know. Like, I watch, I watch Roma. And, and Roma was not my pick to win Best Picture. I didn't get Roma. But I was like, there's something there. Like, I can come back to that well. And, like, next time I'll get it more. And, like, there's, there's really something there, you know. A lot of these films I felt that way. Not Green Book. Not Green no, It didn't. It didn't all. do it for me. Like not everybody, everybody's disappointed, and, and nobody's happy. <laughs> I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to uh,
0: Best Director. Yes. Uh, best Director was Alfonso Cuarón for Roma. Speak of the Devil. Uh, the other nominees: Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite, Spike Lee Black, Lisbon, Adam McKay for Vice, and Paul Polakowski for Cold War. Uh, Andy, you were a big Roma fan. Like I said, I didn't get it, but there's, there's something about it I respect. What do you think of Alfonso taking Best Director?
1: Uh, definitely worth it. Definitely probably one of the best films of the year. I always feel if you, whoever's nominated for directing should, whoever wins that should also win best picture. That's what I always feel like. I mean, sometimes that doesn't completely line up, but it's generally kind of close. And and again, the director, uh, Peter Farrelly for who directed green book, he is not on this list, Um, but Roma's incredible. It's an incredible feat of filmmaking. uh, Just, so much of the recreation of the 1970s Mexico that you had a number of really big, uh, not stunts, but just uh, s- scenes where there's a few thousand people involved and like there's a scene where there's a big riot and, you know, all that had to be be rehearsed and make sure it was safe. And, and it's just, it's incredible. And it says, it's a very deep film. Like there's so much going on in the background uh, of the story and it's just, I want to go back and watch it, and I can since it's on Netflix. Um, So it it definitely deserved to win, and and as well as uh, the rest of these as well. Not so much uh, Adam McKay for Vice, um, and I never saw Cold War, but I've heard it's very good as well.
0: Any uh, hot takes on this (laughs) this trend? Somebody noticed, of course, on the internet that they noticed that uh, the last what five of the last best picture directors, or something, or four out of the last five are all Spanish. Any hot takes on that?
1: Yeah, the, uh, Mexican directors, uh, including uh, Alejandro Iñárritu and, of course, last year's Guillermo del Toro, who won for Shape of Rot- Water. Um, man, yeah, Mexico is tr- its churning out some really incredible filmmakers who are making... And, and again, sometimes the Academy gets it right, and sometimes uh, they just don't. Um, so... Was it The Revenant that won best? No, The Revenant didn't win best picture, but it it won a number of awards. That uh, 2015 finished.
0: best director was Al- Alejandro right. Inarritu for The Revenant.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what those directors are going to make next, and that's a big that's the difference between them and uh, Peter Farrell. I'm like, I'm not interested in what he's making after Green Book. <laughs> like, don't yeah. please, don't, please stop making movies. Dumb and <laughs> Dumber Three. It'll be good. Uh, yeah. Um, Best performance by an actor, uh, Rami Malek, one for uh, Bohemian
0: Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. Any hot takes on this? I'm t- sorry, I'm trying to. Pull oh up no, here, let me pick it up then, please. Because oh, go go I've ahead. got a hot take. Man, when we saw Bohemian Rhapsody, and I want to make sure I've got this right, that was episode forty-one at the beginning of November. Uh, I really liked his performance. H- him and the music are the two things that make that movie work. Because there's a lot in that movie that doesn't work especially not the editing. We'll get to that in a minute. But I I, I genuinely liked him as as Freddy. He was charismatic, and he's believable, and, and you just... He's got a look about him that makes you like him, that makes you root for him, even if you know his character's doing the wrong thing. And ultimately... I, I mean, he kind of fooled me. Yeah, at some point, I forget that I'm watching Rami Malik and I'm like, I'm watching... I mean, not... <laughs> I don't want to say Freddie Mercury, but somebody like Freddie Mercury, you know, I'm, 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 I'm convinced you are the character you say you are. And that's always been a goalpost for me for best actor, or best actress, that you have to convince me and I have to get lost in the world of film that, that what I'm watching is, is real. What do you think? Yeah, he really does carry the film, and I'm okay with him winning. I would have
1: also, uh, li- I would have liked to see Bradley Cooper win for *A Star Is Born* uh, because that was a, you know, a transformation of a different kind. It wasn't not so much physical as much as he had to really work to get his voice to be that that super low Sam Elliott level of low, as well as he he had to like practice and sing. And uh, you know, I, I read this interview where Lady Gaga insisted that he seeing these parts she said i can't give an authentic performance as an actor if you don't give an authentic performance as a musician so to me he he did the more work and it, it's a it's a better movie and it's a better uh performance but rami malek also did an incredible job and he's probably the one good thing about uh bohemian rhapsody so it is what it is i don't mind that he won
0: Best Actress went to Olivia Colman in *The Favorite* as Anne, Queen of Great Britain. Uh, other films nominated were *Roma*, *The Wife*, *A Star Is Born*, and *Can You Ever Forgive Me?* uh, Finally, *The Favorite* gets its due.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, what did you, What did you think about this?
1: I definitely de- deserved to to win. Like I said, I was a little surprised uh, by some of the other nominees. Uh, Yalitza Aparicio. Uh, I'm glad that she was nominated, but it was it's her first film ever. Um, it's really good, and Lady Gaga was great in A Star Is Born, but it definitely should have gone rightfully to Olivia Coleman, who gave a very heartfelt speech. Um, she oh my was god! T- she yeah. was t- tearing up. She was like starstruck by Lady Gaga, and Lady Gaga's like, "No, you're you just won. You're on stage." Yeah, um, I just lost. Don't cut to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I was happy that that they picked up uh, this one for sure.
0: Yeah, this was a tough one. And I only saw two of these films. No, three of these films. I saw Roma, who am I kidding? Um, for what it's worth, all three of these were very transformative appearances. Like, uh, Olivia Coleman was almost unrecognizable as as Anne Queen of Great Britain. I, the whole movie. I was like, who is this woman? And I would never would have been able to guess she was Doris from Hot Fuzz. Never would have placed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like, that's and, where I always think of her. <laughs> right. And, and and Lady Gaga of Starsborn, like, did not I mean you, she could have, she could have had a pseudonym and I'd have believed it. I'd be like, no way, that's the same, the same person. Uh, uh, Yalitza Aparicio, got that? <laughs> okay. I think. I've never seen her in a movie before, but damn, if I wasn't impressed. And I didn't see the wife, and I didn't see Can You Ever Forgive Me, but I heard nothing but good things about those. They're nominated for Oscars, for God's sake. I'm impressed. Like they, these were all really good. And in Best Actor, I, I don't know, I wasn't quite as impressed. But man, the actresses really brought it this year, and uh, I'm, I'm glad Olivia Coleman won. I, I hate to say I might be a little more excited the favorite got recognized than Olivia yeah. Coleman got recognized because, man, I love that movie. And, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But uh, for what it's worth, i um, really pleased with this. Uh, best Supporting Actor? Is it my turn? Do I take that one? or
1: uh, Keep going, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Best Supporting Actor went to Mahershala Ali for Green Book as Don Shirley. Other films nominated were Black Klansman, Adam Driver. Very exciting. Uh, Sam Elliott, A Star is Born, Can You Ever Forgive Me? And Vice for uh, Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush. Um... Andy, what do you think?
1: Um, this category was a little uh, just mundane. Like no one really stood out. I mean, Mahershala Ali is—he is very good in, in *Green Book*, um, but n- no one's performance particularly s- stood out to me. Um, I, I don't have a problem with him winning. I would have liked to see *Black Klansman, uh recognized a little bit more. Sam Elliott, of course, was brilliant in a *Star Is Born* uh as well so it's that's two oscars in three years for him by the way that's really pretty impressive
0: yeah no that's that's no joke i um i'm kind of in the same boat yeah, like, as, as the opposite end of my best actress bit uh all of these were okay <laughs> all of them were yeah pretty good like none of them were, i mean obviously none of them are best actor material and, and the same goes for mahasala Ali in green book i remember watching this and thinking well he's not gonna get the oscar for it and here we are like and, and and looking at the, Oscar the board, it, yeah. I I would argue the reason he got it is because he's the best of who's nominated, not because he was the best. Um, and I don't yeah. know what would have been better. Let me clarify that for somebody out there who's <laughs> Maharsha who thinks I'm somehow slamming Maharsha Lee. I'm not. The man's great. Mad respect. Um, I don't know though. Yeah, like looking at these categories, I'm like, yeah, okay, those are all pretty good. I don't know if I feel the same way about Best Supporting Actress. In fact, I know I don't feel the same way about Best Supporting Actress. Uh, the winner was Regina King for *Beale Street Could Talk*. Others included uh, *Vice*, uh, Amy Adams, *Roma*, uh, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weisz, both for *Favorite, uh, <laughs> favorite crushed. Yeah. crushed*. Crushed, Andy. That my that my my one of my favorite films of the year had two nominees in here, and neither got it. What do you think? Yeah
1: um i haven't seen if beale street could talk but i've seen heard nothing but incredible things and i've heard that regina king's performance is incredible as well um that being said i would have loved to seen rachel vice take take home the oscar for the favorite for sure
0: yeah i have not seen if beale street could talk either we probably should watch it for the show because i dig i dig on regina king she's great And, and like mad respect um but man, I, I figured for sure the favorite was going to take that category. I really did. Like I figured, one of the two of them, Emma Stone or Rachel Vice would have it. I'm bummed. Uh, but hey, excited for Regina King. Like way to go. Seriously. Like that you, you beat out some serious competition. That's got to say a lot about your performance. So well done. Uh, do you want to start skipping around here? You want
1: to keep going? Uh yeah. Let's touch on screenplay. I I was upset about this. So Green Book won for original screenplay. And I was, I was angry about this because all the other films, I mean, the favorite definitely I think is, I mean, talk about an original film. Oh my God. Uh, that first reformed, uh, which I don't think you've seen, but is on Amazon prime, incredible film by Paul Schrader. And of course, Roma as well. All any of those three, I would have been fine with green. I don't think uh, green book, uh, deserved to win and vice doesn't deserve to even be nom- nominated. Oh man. <laughs>
0: No, I'm in. The, I'm in the same camp, man. Like those, the favorite first Reformed in Roma, all would have been great picks, all of them. Uh, and, and I, I would have been behind every one of them. I didn't even see First Reformed, but I heard nothing but glowing reviews. I also heard it was hardcore snubbed this year. I don't know. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, it, it, it was, and it was. It, I mean, it's it's a deep film. There's a lot there. It it definitely could have gotten um, probably some more awards. I mean, Ethan Hawke has a great performance. Paul Traders is, is great uh, director. Of the film, it definitely could have been in the in one of the um, best picture nominees for sure.
0: I'm gonna drop down to uh, best animated feature film. That's all right. Yeah, uh, this one was a big one. Uh, everybody's listening to the show doesn't already know where this is going. This this was a big one this year because uh, the the winner came came out of nowhere right at the end of the year and scooped it. Uh, the winner is Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Other nominees were Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, and Mount Ralph breaks the Internet. Andy, we were both big fans of this movie. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I was really excited to see this win. Uh, this is the first time Disney hasn't won since like 2006. Yeah. So glad to see that streak broken and, and glad to see a different kind of movie because it's still animation. It's still more geared toward younger audiences, but it's an incredible step forward in animation. It's something that we haven't seen. Unfortunately, like Pixar has. A certain look now, and it's something that we've all seen before. So it's it's great to see something new and different uh, take home the the prize.
0: I the only one on this list I didn't see was Mirai, which I heard nothing but good things about. Supposedly really good. Um, so I probably need to check that out. I I really did think Isle of Dogs had a shot. I really did. Uh, uh-huh. I, it was a long shot, but I was like, man, the stop motion of that film is incredible. It's a really cool flick. Wes Anderson did a great job. Really liked it. Incredibles 2, I didn't think. I, I didn't think so. But I watched it again real recently. I thought, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? It's Disney after all. Maybe. But the one that really stuck with me was Spider-Man. Because I remember walking out of that theater and thinking, that might take the Oscar. And then and then that feeling was immediately washed over. Like, no. No way. It's a Sony Pictures film. It just came out. There's no way a bunch of old crotchety Academy people are convinced this is the best film of the year. And like, my God. The, cl- the, the closer we got to the Oscar, the more it just felt... Obvious. Like, how could it not be the best animated film of the year? It's an incredible film. It it totally deserves it. I bet Disney hates that Phil Lord and Chris Miller (laughs) got an Academy Award for this when they ousted them off solo because they didn't like the way that movie was going. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you want to do next? Um,
1: Let's look at, uh, well, let's talk real quick about sound editing. Uh, So, Bohemian Rhapsody won this, and I was not happy about that because it's basically a long music video. Um, and when I think of sound editing, I, I think of, uh, you know, effects that, you know, things like if you're, there's like a war scene or, you know, there's guns shooting that like this kind of like crash bang, uh, thing. And it's just, it's a music video. Uh, other nominees were, uh, Black Panther, First Man, A Quiet Place and Roma. Uh, First Man, I think, uh, deserved that or Roma is as well. But I mean, like I said, Bohemian Rhapsody is a glorified music video.
0: I mean, there's some stuff in—not <laughs> to defend it. There's some stuff in the <laughs> *Indian Rhapsody* that, that's that's really good. Getting getting Rami Malek synced up with Freddie Mercury is great, and that's not easy. And and by the end of the movie, you're, you're pretty convinced that what what he's singing is, is legit. Like, you stop thinking of Freddie Mercury, and you're looking at what's on screen. And you're like, yeah, that's coming from that person. Also, getting uh, Rami Malek's um, dialogue to come through those giant freaking false teeth he had to wear had to have been hard. That couldn't have been easy. I get it. And working a lot of Queen music and getting that spliced over and sounding good. like That's a whole thing, too. So when it comes to sound editing, there's a lot that movie does. But I got to be honest, I was, I was surprised Quiet Place didn't take this one. Because so much of what a Quiet Place is is built around its sound and its sound editing. And, and I thought that would have been a really cool spot. And also, frankly, uh, for, for, for those of you out there who don't like Black and White and think this this movie got too much credit, Roma would have been great. Because Roma's like, Roma's sound editing really is. It helps really get you into the world of the film. It's quiet and it's patient and it's nuanced, and I appreciate it. It it takes its time. It doesn't it doesn't rush into things. You know, Queen is loud in your face. Roma's very relaxed, and like that's really cool. And there's something to be said about that. You know, I, I thought both of those movies stood a good chance, and uh, but again, human Rhapsody, I get it. You had to, you had to jump through a lot of hoops to make that movie work. Like somebody, somebody somewhere had to do a lot of sound editing So, you know, credit where it's due, I guess mm-hmm.
1: um, Moving on to uh, visual effects uh, First Man won, which I was glad to see First Man win something Because it only kind of got forgotten uh, in, a, in a lot of ways um, Other nominees were uh, Avengers Infinity War Christopher Robin, Ready Player One Solo, A Star Wars Story um, Can you think of anyone else that should have been on there? I think that's a pretty good list
0: I'm gonna be honest. I'm I'm searching desperately to find where you're looking at this. Uh, best visual effects. There it is. I I don't think so. I, I remember laughing at Solo: Star Wars story being on there. I thought that was hilarious. Um, and looking back, I did go back and watch it again. Not that long ago. It's it's not actually that bad. Ready Player One did some cool stuff, but it was too early in the year. Like it was just it was yeah. too far ahead of everything else. Christopher Robin was playing Avengers: Infinity War. Honestly, surprised didn't take it. I really thought Avengers: Infinity War might have it, but yeah. um, you know, first man, it was nostalgic and it was it felt genuine and it felt real and ryan gosling felt felt like a man in a, a crappy suit in a, in a tin can <laughs> you know like i get that so for what it's worth you know i get it uh, yeah i damage mean that heat.
1: yeah i mean avengers you know they're gonna have a great cgi and all that stuff but like first man had to like recreate what it was like trying to uh launch a spaceship into space and being in that like you said tin can um let's go ahead and move on to film editing i think you have some words
0: on this <laughs> I do. Uh, The winner of film editing this year was Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, Other nominees were Black Klansman, The Favorite, Green Book, and Vice. I genuinely would have given it to Green Book over Bohemian Rhapsody on this one. Really. Bohemian Rhapsody is so clumsy, man. Somebody posted a scene. I'm sure you saw it on on our movies the other day on Reddit. Um, It was a scene when uh, the record label guy, the snarky record label guy, uh, first approaches the band right after they just started getting big, and they're sitting out on this patio, and it's so clumsy and they cut a million times it's like watching an action scene in in taken <laughs> yeah. except they're just sitting around talking and the people behind rami malik are changing places between shots because it was like so clumsily put together and there's this horrible green screen effect because they're not actually out on a pier or anything they're they're in a studio it's just like it's such a perfect little like encapsulation of everything that didn't work in the editing in that movie but like somehow, here we are. It's best editing. Like great, awesome. You know, you couldn't have given that to something quality for a church. Yeah,
1: my choice would have been uh, the favorite uh, for that, as for sure.
0: Honestly, that or maybe even uh, Black Klansman. Really, like Black Klansman did some really cool stuff. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it cuts to some things. It cuts to some footage. It cuts to some material that like I didn't expect. That gave me. Some really, really unique feelings that I didn't feel anywhere else in in a theater all year. Like Black Klansman does some really cool stuff, and 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 like I wish that had been appreciated. Uh, nope Bohemian Rhapsody takes it great. <laughs> That's right. Um, just real quick, uh,
1: best animated short went to Bow, which uh, was the Pixar short that played before Incredibles two. Um, really great, a tearjerker of a story. I, I thought that was well deserved.
0: That one's a really good one. Yeah, credit words due. Uh, I wanted to mention uh, best costume design went to Black Panther. I'm glad. I'm glad. Black Panther has some wild costumes, man. But like, man, I really had my heart set on the favorite. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I was surprised about that that as well. But it definitely uh, deserved. Yep. Uh, it's good. To win. It's good. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to grandstand. Say it didn't. They're both quality films. Like I take it. Take it words too. Any any real any real snubs for you, Andy? And anything in here that you're just like that was so trash. I can't believe it. Um, I mean, I other, I've got most got mostly
1: um, Green Book being best picture. That's which is so surprising because two years ago they picked Moonlight to be best picture, which is definitely definitely was the best picture that year. And it was, you know, it's the deep, super artistic uh, story told in this incredible way. And that's it's like, wow, the Oscars is on track. And now they're kind of back to where they were. I wanted to briefly touch on uh, original score that we are, of course, missing the great uh, Johan Johansson for Mandy which should have been on this list uh, none of yeah. these scores particularly stood out I haven't seen If Beale Street Could Talk I have heard it's it's very. it does have a very good score but the rest of it, yeah, it was okay uh, Mary Poppins did have a good score I enjoyed that for uh, by Mark Mark Shaman um, and then of course cinematography when it went to Roma
0: as and, it should
1: mm-hmm uh, and again, the, the sh- they managed to get through the show very quickly Without having to put awards in the commercials And, you know, it, I think it really worked And for me, I could have had a longer show Because, like I said, they used to take more time with each nominee So, like, when someone, when they went through the actors, for instance They would show some really good scenes of this top-notch acting But they were just, I mean, they showed so little of all the films I felt uh, really rushed to me
0: yeah, um, it's it's tough. I I know there was some drama. Uh, nothing nothing as good as like the the La La Land Moonlight mix up. But like Spike Lee got up and walked out when Green Book got announced as Best Picture. I probably would have joined him. I uh, mean, <laughs> it's it, I, it was I, I, also. Yeah. Oh,
1: sorry. Uh, it was less. It was actually less political. Like a lot of times, that's one of the big criticisms of the Oscars is that uh, all the speeches get too political, and they actually really toned that down. I don't know if that was like a collective decision or what, but it was definitely much less uh, political than it's been in the past. And I think it's probably uh, better for it. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to touch on, of course, is original song, which <laughs> which went to uh, "Shallow" uh, by uh, Lady Gaga, and uh, from "A Star Is Born." Um, they really deserved it. They gave an incredible performance, um, and they d- they did the Others' I'll Fight and The Place Where the Lost Things Go, although I was dis- disappointed it wasn't Mary Poppins or um, uh, Emily Blunt singing it. It was actually Bette Midler. It's not quite the same thing. And what? then Emily uh,
0: Blunt didn't sing it, really?
1: No, I don't think she was there. I think no, I read that, that some Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings from The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is... A really incredible song, and they had this kind of a, a country duo sing it, and it was a little disappointing because the movie version is way better than uh, what they did. It was just kind of the, the arrangement, not necessarily them. Um, but yeah, glad to see that the Ballad of Buster Scruggs was, was on here. Uh, so that's uh, that's the that's the Oscars
0: of <laughs> yeah twenty nineteen. I was gonna say before we wrap things up, uh, just one just one final thought. Looking at all of this, looking at what won, looking at what lost, any movies that you're like, man, i got to go back and watch that again? You got any on but, there? Because let me tell you, one that really stood out to me is *Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I'm just like, I want to watch it again. I want to watch Roma again. Uh, I, of course, want to watch Spider-Man again, but I got a problem with that movie, so... Um, and that I like it too much. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> Any that you were just like, yeah, d- back definitely.
1: I, I mean, I want to see if Beale Street could talk because I've heard so much about it. I want to go back and wa- watch Roma. I've watched Ballad of Buster Scruggs at least three times. I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> um, it's a good I, movie. I, I also, I want to see things that I think should have been on here and aren't anywhere to be found. Uh, things like Annihilation. I think that score should have definitely been nominated um, for Best Original Score. Um, other things, Mandy as well. Uh, there is a distinct lack lack of female directors, and we had great films by by uh, women this year, uh, such as uh, "You Were Never Really Here" by Lynn Lynn Ramsey. Um, so yeah, I it, it reminds me of films that I um want wanted to be nominated and weren't, and I want to go back and watch those. and And I think what I take away from all this, and this is what I'll kind of cap this off, is even if the Oscars get it wrong, and even if there's lots of politics or lots of poor decisions or they're all bought um it's the biggest celebration of film we have and it gets people talking and it gives you the opportunity if if the wrong film gets not nominated or or wins it gives you the opportunity to talk about the right films and i think that's always a good thing for cinema and it's always something i look forward to
0: well said yeah what a great what a great conclusion <laughs> well that segment went ran way longer than it needed to uh, but i'm glad we <laughs> got everything out and uh, you want to Please, take the next one.
1: Um, We're looking at
0: Boots Riley,
1: Sorry to Bother You. Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. Ah! Uh, So this is the first film by Chicago-based director, Boots Riley. It stars Lakeith Sanfield and Tessa Thompson as a uh, kind of broke couple. They're living in, in um, uh, Lakey Sanfield's uh, uncle's house. Uh, his uncle's played by Terry Crews. Uh, his name is Cash is Green, which is a play on words because it means Cash is Green. I was thinking about uh, that
0: this morning <laughs> when I was getting ready to come, yeah, thinking about the show. So I was the, just like, hey, Cash is Green, yeah.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of of that kind of stuff um, throughout this film. Uh, he's broke He's looking for a job. He can't really find one. Uh, He's interviewing. It it opens. He's interviewing at this call center. He's somewhat fudged his resume and eventually gets this job. Um, And we we do get some of these funny scenes where he's calling, and whenever he calls in, his desk physically drops into, like, whatever scene. So people at dinner or in other kind of – they're busy. Um, Anyways, he's not doing so hot. And Danny Glover, who works next to him, says, hey, man – you got to use your white voice. And he says, my white voice, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, your white voice. And then he, so then Danny Glover, who uh, is then dubbed uh, by an, what I'm going to co- refer to as Anglo-American actors, um, uh, puts on a voice that I guess is more re- relatable, and he's able to sell more. And that's what he says. He said, oh, it makes people feel at ease, makes, makes them feel like you're a colleague, like you're not trying to sell them something. And so eventually uh, Cassius begins to do the same thing. He puts on his white voice, voiced funnily by uh, David Cross, and he begins to really make sales and begins to to kind of move up in this kind of terrible uh, call center landscape. Amidst all this, uh, we have a character named Squeeze, played by Stephen Yeun from The Walking Dead, who's trying to organize the workers, get them to strike, get them to get you know have better working conditions, benefits, get paid better. Um, and so we, we kind of have this conflict where uh, Cassius is moving up in this corporate world. And while he's still attempting to support his his kind of uh, not freedom fighters but like social justice friends, um, we also have his girlfriend played by uh, Tessa Thompson, um, who's uh, very woke, <laughs> for lack of a better term. She's an <laughs> artist. She's very feels very much for the workers and their strike and what they're trying to do um so that's the that's the the that's the story that's the setup and there's a lot in in here that uh, i think we can d- dig into this film gets really crazy in some spots uh so Zach, what do you think
0: man I really like this movie uh which i know flies right in the face of my earlier review excuse me um I like this movie a lot it reminds me a lot of a spike lee film and and, and when we reviewed um Black Klansman, one of the things I regretted listening back to that review, I'm like, I wish we'd talk more about how it acts as a film essay and less as a narrative because Spike Lee's films really do do kind of feel that way. This one had that a little bit, but it really does have more of a narrative carry and there's just a little bit of of that kind of, uh, hey, let's talk about the world going on in the background, that meta message, you know? Um, Right. But for what it's worth, this movie does some things that, that I thought were so clever and engaging, and they engage with this content, this idea of, of social justice and, and defying norms and success and failure and what it means to be happy in, in, in a, a very similarly built uh, but alternate America, um, they, they, they tell that, they, they convey that message in a way that I don't know if I've seen before, and, and I want to talk about what that means and what that was, and uh, I, I, I like this movie a lot. I, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I laughed. I had fun. I, scr- I scratched my head at parts that confused me. Um, really yeah. neat. So where do we start this conversation? Where, where do we kick off well, talking about Sorry to Bother
1: You? Well, let me get, get my hot take. Um, yeah. So this film had a lot of potential. There's a lot of really good ideas in here. Um, a little too many for me. And I, I think it eventually kind of goes a little bit off, off the rails. It, it tries to be too many things. So it's, it's a social satire. It's, uh, you know, making commentary on capitalism, late-stage capitalism and, and society. It's a dark comedy. It, it's surrealism. And, you know, it's a mixture of a lot of things. And part of it works, and then it, it, a lot of it doesn't for me it, overall. Um, in the end, it kind of starts to jump the shark and feel a lot like Idiocracy. Um, funny enough, Terry Crews is in both. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, but it does have a lot of good elements to it, and it does. I, I like. It has a really strong cast, and I think the setup is really strong. And I wish they would have stuck with that a little bit longer. Um, so, uh, well, why don't you, I don't know where we want to go from here, but uh, right, right, right. What do okay, you think? Well,
0: let's let's first let's talk about that. Um I don't want to say let's talk about the unwinding of the world in the film because it really does start to get nuts and it only gets worse. And I like that. I, I like that feeling that like you. The movie starts on a pretty normal key. I mean, it doesn't even feel like any kind of different world. It just feels like okay, we're in Oakland and like that's that's fine. Yeah. And it just it just starts with little things. It starts with hey, here's a commercial for a a a service called Worry-Free, uh, which is a, a, a lifestyle service where you go work and they, they don't pay you a paycheck. They just give you housing and, and, and room and board and whatever you need. Yeah, room and board, and you work for them, and that's the deal. And and, and our character, our main, our main character, uh, Cassius, notices this ad and he asks his, his social justice girlfriend, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, before I get too far into this, I feel like we should probably – should I curb the social justice thing? I don't want to offend somebody. I feel like if we just throw that title on things, like it sounds like we, we don't know – we're doing. Uh, yeah, you probably pa- should <laughs> Patriarchy. I don't know. I, I'm sorry. Whatever it is. I don't mean to... I'm just trying to play with... It's cool. Socially anyway, conscious. Uh, right, yes. Uh, so, it, not yeah. Um, and, and then it, from there, it just starts to get worse because these characters at Worry for you, are wearing these absurdly colored outfits, these jumpsuits, and you start to see billboards for it, and you start to find out more about it, and then this whole power call... Uh, this, this power caller thing, I, I don't know if we even got into that, starts to turn into this whole how to do and it, it turns out there's there's these wild parties people are throwing and this crazy art that his girlfriend doesn't do like everything just starts to get like just turned up more the heat just dials up over the course of the film and like i loved it i loved the ride it just felt like you were going up and up and up and up on a roller coaster like where's it gonna go when's it gonna when's it gonna drop i think it can be dissatisfying because i don't know if you ever really get that i don't know if you ever really get that drop I don't know if it ever really gets there. You know, yeah. I think the elevator just goes up and stops. And, like, that can be a problem. Uh, what, what do you think about that?
1: To me, it was just a little bit too over the top and too on the nose. And like I said, I like the premise of the movie and where it starts. And eventually, like I said, it, it really kind of turns into idiocracy. Um, and, and again, it, it's incredibly heavy-handed in that it's, like uh, – You know, we we are we are modern day slaves. We are not paid. Like there's there's no nuance in anything. It's like hitting you over the head with a hammer. And and it's like, and I agree with the politics of this film, but I'm not on board with the way it's telling it because it's not a story that it's a story that people would ignore because it's so blatant and over hits you over the head kind of with its its messages or its issues with a lot of like social things.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the way that's presented in the film. Right, that's important. Uh, we've got these characters who are very much well. I, I was gonna say these characters who are all on the same side, but they're not. I, I mean, these characters are b- b- built multifaceted. You've got a good handful of his friends, who his girlfriend Tessa Thompson's involved with, who are looking to unionize, looking to uh, find some you know find some common ground amongst employees and employers. Right, uh, Tessa Thompson is an artist. She's a little bit more vocal and and and. Um, activist about that i should say uh uh and 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 how she kind of gets her her approach across is 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 the exact opposite of lakeith stanfield i feel like i'm getting lost in the weeds here i I feel like i'm getting lost um whereas he kind of treads this line right where okay i'm i'm on the side of the employees but i'm also doing really good at work i'm benefiting from this system that my friends are suffering through like i'm getting something out of this and that's tough for cassius because his whole thing is like i'm i i'm I just came out of high school and never did anything good with my life. I'm not going anywhere. And finally, I'm finding meaning in a system that is not good, right? Yeah.
1: Like, well, well, more specifically, I'm finding a big paycheck in this system where everyone else is struggling. I'm finally not struggling. Right. And that, um, that kind of outlines his his whole take on, on this thing.
0: Right. Which ends up pushing him to be like the people who are oppressing other people, right? Like he, he rises through those ranks. But it happens in this world that is very alternate and different. And it's very funny. And, and, I, and I want to talk about that. Uh, the way the story is told, there are gags in this movie. That's the best yeah. way I can say Gags. Visual, dialogue, auditory, whatever. These things are almost, and I, I, I know how tall of a claim this is, almost airplane level gags. Yeah. Like, ridiculous, gags. Yeah, th- are- one of my
1: favorite ones that sticks out. So Tessa Thompson has, like, these giant earrings that have, like, pretty, like, not offensive, but uh, controversial slogans. And they her earrings just get bigger and bigger. And, like, at one point she has uh, these earrings that are, like, a death row inmate in the electric chair. And they're huge. They're, like, you know, eight inches <laughs> yeah. big on each ear, And she, like... Every scene, she has a new set of earrings, and they say something ridiculous, and they're just, they're like the size of your hand, Um, and it's just, yeah, it's an ongoing gag, and it's not hilarious, but it's just, it's funny, because just the situation of it all.
0: Right, part of the charm of, I need to look him up, because I was just thinking about him the other day, part of the charm of a movie like Airplane, is that they use dramatic actors. That was a big thing, Leslie Nielsen, when he made Airplane, David Zucker is the man who directed it, Uh, and and Jim Abrams, and uh, Jerry Zucker, the Zuckers and Jim Abrams. Uh, they they use Leslie Nielsen, who didn't have a background in comedy because they knew he did drama, and they were like, we want you to play this so straight, this horrible gag comes around to being funny again because mm-hmm. you play it like it's totally real. It's part of the charm of a movie like Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters are played totally straight. Those guys <laughs> exist in that world, and everybody else, Dana Barrett and Lewis Tully and all of them, they look at the Ghostbusters like, who are these schlubs, you know, run around busting ghosts? But to them, it is totally legit, and that's the charm of it, that, like the comedy comes around because the people involved in the comedy experience is real. And we, the audience, get to look in on them and laugh because we know that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry to Bother You leans way into that. Way into it. Every character in this movie, totally straight. Totally plays it straight. Straight face, no laughter. What they're experiencing is real. And it makes it funny, yeah, because you see things like a woman with giant electric chair earrings that are not mentioned in the scene or not featured. And they're, they're not an important thing. She's just wearing them. And everybody else is cool with it. And it's just a yeah, good like visual no says gag. Yeah, you just yeah, kind of yeah. chuckle at it. Yeah, it's just one of those things. This movie is chock full of moments like that. And like I've never seen a movie like Airplane ha- try to have a message like a Spike Lee film. And like I love it. I love it the attempt I love that they tried to do something different and new and it feels so fresh and engaging um and I was really into that
1: yeah and, and, and I think that's what I can respect this film for even though all these different different elements didn't quite work work for me I like that it's different and that it's it's bold and it's definitely not like anything that, that you've seen and that's part of the reason I actually didn't watch this initially because I was like oh this looks like a bunch of other movies about race and social issues that have come out this year. You know, it just looked like nothing really different, and it definitely is.
0: I do want to talk about the cast. Um, yes, definitely. You mentioned Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, also Terry Crews is in this movie. Uh, Stephen Yeun of Walking Dead fame is in this yep. movie, which was a surprise. And Army Hammer is in this movie. Yes. Yeah. We also have uh, David uh, uh, David Glover. Yeah.
1: David Cross. David or Cross. sorry, Dan, Dan, Danny Glover. Danny
0: Glover. I didn't want to say Donald Glover because no, that's not him. Danny Glover, David Cross, Pat Oswalt is in this movie. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is in this movie. I mean, he's a voice, but he's in it. Like, it, it's impressive who First who Mr. Episode. Riley managed to, ra- to, to to rally for this movie, and like, it shows. The performances are all great, and they all they all really do feel like the world. of The film is is, is legit, you know. Yeah, and and.
1: You know, I, again, they don't stick with the initial premise of this whole thing about ha- having a white voice. And, again, we have da- David Cross uh, covers for, for Cassius and Patton Oswalt for Mr. Blank's uh, white voice. And, and Lily James, who briefly co- covers for uh, Tessa Thompson's character. That was a much more – I think that's a really interesting – uh, kind of set up about identity and kind of like personal meaning and, and things like that. And they just kind of skip over it. Also, I kind of wish they hadn't dubbed these people over. I kind of wish they had just like... Actually gone th- for it. Yeah, but I wonder if that's offensive or not. I, can't. <laughs> I, w- I feel like that, that might be problematic. But not, I, yes. not for us for to decide. But I, th- I would have... It was somewhat distracting because I could tell it was so different. I would have much rather heard their um, Anglo-American voice.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things, that, that's that's a gag that oddly falls kind of flat. Like, you get used to it over the course of the film, but the first time it's really presented in the movie, uh, a lot of characters hear Cash's do it. And they're like, oh my god, it looked like you were dubbed. Which I guess is part of the bit, right? Like, you're supposed yeah. to, like, funny, you know, because he's actually dubbed. But, like, they try to play it as if that's reality, you and, like, it yeah. so clearly isn't. What you needed
1: is, like, the de- the... The impression that Dave Chappelle does when he does like his his wife voice, um, in some of his old Chappelle show things, um, yeah.
0: And I, I don't know what that would have done for the film, but like I, I I do think there would have been a little bit more like heart to it. I don't know. Yeah, a little it, bit it would more because been... it just it just felt oddly phoned in. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think that was the point, right? I don't know.
1: I don't know. Well, like I said, I could just I I would just spend the whole time trying to figure out who it was. I was like, oh, that's Patton Oswald. Oh, that's David Cross's voice. Like I knew it wasn't them, and that's what I wanted to to hear because that that is. I mean, sadly, that is a real thing that that you know minorities will speak in more kind of like sound sounding like white Americans because they get a better re- response on the phone. Or in an interview, and that's like that's why I wanted the, fo- the film to focus on that more because that's a real world issue, and that's something that real people do, um, and it just kind of abandons that uh, about halfway through.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know how far this movie was trying to lean into that. I, one of my favorite favorite phrases about um, the misunderstanding of of black culture was is um, and, I, and I don't, don't want to get this wrong. Uh, but, but it was essentially that black people in in America have to speak two languages. Like you have to, you have to be able to bounce between both. And like this movie, it kind of, kind of, it dresses that up too far. Yeah. Like it, it, it goes too far to point that out and it kind of jumps the shark. And like, I wish it had been a little bit more practical because it would have felt a little bit more logical. Like it wouldn't yeah. have felt like a spoof because I'm sure there are people out there that will watch this movie and go, "Oh, that's funny." Totally not real though, and it's like, no, it kind of is though. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Here, here's
1: a, a movie that that does something like this really well. In uh, Get Out, at the beginning when they uh, they get pulled over, and uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character, he's trying to be real cool with the cop, and his white girlfriend is like going off, being real mouthy, and like, you know, she's like causing the scene and he's like trying to get her to calm down and like the scene finishes and this is subtle but like what he's saying is like the difference in how they act because he, a black man could not act like that or would put himself in danger by acting how this his white girlfriend does like that and that's a very like subtle nuanced like not uh, so hard on the nose um, commentary about a big subject just displayed in the scene and I would have liked to have seen more subtleties like that in this film
0: Right, and it comes back around, um, and I i don't know. I, 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 I agree, I wish it had been more of a thing. Also, one other thing, and I don't know if anybody out there uh, would notice this, but something uh, Christine noticed when she was watching this movie with me. Uh, Omari Jackson's character, who wears an eye patch and has a big... Omari Hardwick, I'm sorry, his character, uh, who, who wears an eye patch and is the stand-in for Patton Oswalt's voice, I guess. Uh, she, she mentioned, and I don't know how legit this is, she said the eye patch would change sides. Over the course of the movie. <laughs> and like nice. Yep. Never mentioned. Never nobody ever notices. Nobody ever has a throwaway line. Like, is your eye okay? Nope. It just happens. It's, it's like, too clever. Right. Like it's just one of those things. And like I this movie's so full of stuff like that and, and engaging and cool. And I really liked it. I love the way it was shot. The lighting is incredible. There's a lot of really cool lights in this movie. A lot of really cool colors and um, but ultimately it does it does jump the shark to a point and it's some at some point it just feels like it's just it keeps jumping a shark over and over and over the credits. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, you just get into a really weird spot with it. So I, I can understand the confusion. A- any other thoughts or recommendations, I guess. I think I'm ready. Uh, Andy, would you recommend, sorry to bother you?
1: Uh, I wouldn't long, say yes. That with long, ca- with that long breathing. Uh, <laughs> definitely. If it's on, you know, a streaming service and, and you, and you're curious about the film, if you're curious about, black directors who are discussing social issues. It's definitely got a lot to say. It, and It is funny. It does have some real satirical moments. It's got a lot of like surrealism. There are a lot of good things in there. Overall, it didn't quite work for me, and I don't think I would go back for a second viewing, but I, it's the kind of thing I would encourage people to watch and make, make up their own opinions.
0: I was all about it. I loved it. I want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really cool, but no, I, I understand. I, I, I get a lot of why a lot of people probably don't like this movie and won't like this movie. It's, it's, it's a, it's one of those movies you either, you either love it or you're not into it. Like it's just, you know, it's kind of like Mandy. Like it's just one of those weird flicks and like it, that's okay. There are plenty of movies on this show that Andy's been all about and I've been like, no, no, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally. It's all right. Yeah. It's, uh, but a weird flick ultimately and, and, and I would recommend it. Um, but if you're, if you're on the fence, um, you know, don't don't rush. It's on Hulu. Watch it if you want, but don't don't go out of your way. Don't it's go for drop pur- 20 bucks. For yeah, it or purveyors anything. of bold cinema. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and with that, I think that about wraps our show for the week. Uh, next week, we're taking the week off, but we're going to come back strong afterwards with Captain Marvel. I'm excited to talk about that, and we'll find something else to watch in there. I'm not sure what it'll be, but watch out. We'll figure it out. Uh, If you want to be involved with the show, if you want to hit us up with some correspondence, let us know what you thought. Hit us up at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Our website is offscriptfilmreview.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Let us know. Hit us up. We're excited. I said hit us up like three times. We're excited to be a part of whatever you got going on. We want to hear what you thought about the Oscars. We want to know what you thought about, uh, I was going to say, Bohemian Rhapsody, how to train your dragon in the hidden world. And we want to know what you thought about Sorry to Bother You. So let us know what's going on. Thanks for listening. We're excited to be a part of it uh i don't know i'm, I'm about out of steam andy Any, anything else uh i think that that's it perfect uh from all of us at Offscript, the home of bolt cinema i'm zach lewis
1: and i'm dr draper
0: thanks for listening